Hello, hello, welcome. I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters. Every week for... Uh, I put out this podcast. It's 10 to 15 minutes. And uh, those of you who've been listening for a while, you know, uh, we just we share a story or one aspect of life and reframe it and just look for a bit more positivity in the world. And I think it's a time of examination and re-examination, discovery and rediscovery. And I'm so thrilled so many of you are listening to it. We have people listening internationally now, and it's all very exciting. Um, often I'll share a story, and, and usually it's a, a personal story, as is this one today, because I'm going to share... Um, the story of a, a very special man. You know, it, if you're lucky, your life intersects with some incredible people during your lifetime, and some may be renowned and some not renowned. Uh, it doesn't matter, but the point is when you've crossed paths with them and they've touched you, you carry their handprint on your heart. And perhaps you're thinking of somebody like that right now. This is Ellie Wiesel, and I was fortunate enough to have my life intersect with his twice. Uh, I'm going to tell you about both of them, the, the second less important than the first. Um, and this has very much to do with his first play, Zalman or the Madness of God. He's known, of course, for his incredible testimony of what it was to be present in the Holocaust in the Shoah. And... Um, if you've read Night, you you won't ever forget. Um, it's a searing uh, witnessing of uh, a singular event. Um, but he, his novels are just, uh, they set you on fire. Uh, his writing, incredible. This is a play, and um, in the second American production, which was in Cincinnati, the first was in Washington, D.C. at the Arena Theater. Uh, the second was in Cincinnati, and I was cast in this show um, in, in, in the role of Zalman. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, but basically the background behind this play is that on Yom Kippur Eve, which is the holiest night of the year in Jewish tradition, uh, back in the 60s, Elie Wiesel found himself in Russia. And he was in a crowded synagogue and uh, everything was very still and everything was very stilted and everything was very formal. And the rabbi was sitting on the bima uh, 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 and getting ready to speak. And suddenly, um, Wiesel had this mad thought, he said, that crossed his mind that something's going to happen. He just felt in the middle of all this stillness, something maybe remarkable is going to happen. Maybe the, the rabbi is going to suddenly speak out because everyone knew what how difficult it was for Soviet Jews uh, under, the, uh, under the regime, uh, communist regime there. And he just thought maybe the rabbi will cry out or maybe shout out his pain or rage, but nothing happened. It was, it was too late, and the service was over. And he thought to himself that maybe the rabbi no longer had the strength to 
imagine himself free because they were constantly being watched by the KGB and constantly everyone was everyone's life was very conscripted so Wiesel did what artists do and art really reflects life sometimes as it is but it also reflects life as it might be as it could be so he wrote Zalman or the madness of God giving the rabbi the strength to the courage to voice his oppression and the isolation of Jews in, in the Soviet Union at the time, and and the result was a theatrical, passionate cry, uh, the anguish of individuals, and it represents not only the Jewish experience there, but truly individuals anywhere in the world who are locked down um, and who must survive and long for something more than mere survival. They're looking for life. They're looking to get their lives back. And you look at the world today and you think of those places where that is. I know on a certain level, we're all wanting to get our lives back. But this is truly to about religion, but it could be about gender. Uh, it could be about culture. Uh, it could be about race. And that feeling of being overwhelmed and can I ever break out of this? Can I ever find my way to freedom? Now, Wiesel was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1986. And he's the author of more than 50 internationally acclaimed works of fiction and nonfiction. Um, and he was professor at the, in the humanities uh, at Boston University for 40 years and died in 2016. But this is my experience with Wiesel. Fortunately enough, and I just couldn't believe it, on opening night when of this second American production of Zalman of the Madness of God, we got word that Wiesel was going to be in the audience. And in the course, first of all, that was terribly exciting, as you can imagine. But in the course of the play, there is the grandson of the rabbi and Again, it's the rabbi hoping that the rabbi will speak out and the person who keeps pushing the rabbi to speak out on this one evening service where Americans and others from around the world are going to be in the uh, congregation that evening. And it was so hard to get the truth out of the Soviet Union and, and Wiesel wondered what would it be like if the rabbi told the truth so that others could bring it home. And, and Zalman is this character who, he's the, the beetle, uh, and I don't mean that with a T, but with a D. He's the shamash, he's the one who takes care of the synagogue. That's the person who hangs around, who makes sure everything's clean, everything's set up for everyone. Sort of the unofficial assistant of the synagogue. And he pushes in his madness, pushes his own rabbi be mad tonight, Rabbi. Speak out, Rabbi. Say what's in your heart. Speak the truth. But he, and he, he's such a peculiar, funny man, this Zalman. And he finally pushes his rabbi, and the rabbi does speak out. And the rabbi, 
another part of this, the play is that the rabbi has a grandson named Misha and uh, has a son, Misha's father. The son in the play has joined the Communist Party, has joined the um, apparatchik of, of the Soviet Union, and wants nothing really to do with Judaism. It doesn't mean anything to him anymore. The grandson is about to become bar mitzvah age, and there's a, a subplot in the play about whether or not the boy will go and follow his grandfather, the rabbi, and connect himself to his people, his Jewish tradition, or will he follow his father and break away and not have anything to do with it? And that question is left in the play. What will happen to this little boy, Misha? And at the end of the show, after the the rabbi has spoken out and after it's determined that no arrests will be made because it doesn't matter, rabbi, what you say. You're old. You're meaningless. No one will take you seriously. No one listens to the old and, and, and the elderly. And, and that's, the, that's what the Soviet Union, that's what the, uh, the officers there tell him. And they basically disregard him. In other words, it was a meaningless gesture. But it was very, very powerful and maybe very powerful to this little boy. And at the end, the little boy is outside and you hear the rabbi go outside and call his name and you hear the son go out, the the rabbi's son, the Misha's father, go out and call his name. And you hear Misha, Misha coming from both sides of the stage. And the question is left open. To whom does Misha run? In other words, what choice does he make? Well, on opening night, the young boy playing the part of Misha just happened to be the grandson of a rather famous American artist. And I won't mention the name. They feel I should protect their identities. But... in real life, this grandfather, who this renowned figure, had urged his grandson to have a bar mitzvah because the young boy was reaching in real life his age of bar mitzvah. And the son had shared with me that his father said, you know, it really doesn't matter. Whatever you want. I know grandpa wants you to do that, but you know what? It doesn't mean anything to me. And it was amazing how in real life, the boy's experience reflected what was going on in the uh, in the play. Well, on opening night, just before the curtain came up, the young boy came to me and said, Jan, I want to tell you something. I've made my decision. I said, really? What, what is it? He said, I've decided I'm going to have my bar mitzvah because of my experience with this play. I've decided Misha would choose that, and I'm choosing that. I'm choosing to belong. Well, I was overwhelmed, and uh, it was very moving. And after the play, after the applause and all of that, I look up backstage, and Ellie Wiesel is standing there. 
And I, I walk up to him and he puts his arms around me and he congratulates me on the show. And I said, Ellie, I have a story for you. And I shared this story that I just shared with all of you and told him that the young boy playing the part of Misha had decided to have his bar mitzvah because of the play. And Wiesel stood there, tears filling his eyes. I will never forget it. And he said, for this one boy did I write this play. Can you imagine? For this one boy did I write this play. That has always stayed with me. When I write my books, I, I, I think to myself sometimes, if only one person reads it and is touched in some way, is connected in some way, then for that one person. Years later, I wrote my first novel that's called All That Matters. And it's about a young girl uh, in her early 20s, young woman, um, whose mother has died in a tragic accident, whose boyfriend who she thought was the one turns out not to be, and whose father's busy with a new family and doesn't seem to have as much time for her. And she basically prepares to die. She prepares, she goes down to the beach at, in Santa Monica at sunset. She records a farewell and basically decides her life is at, added up to this moment and has no will to go on. And it was based on a, there was a student of mine at one point who had taken her life. And I guess like Wiesel, I wanted to create something um, that might have a different ending of how life could be if we respond in a different way. And in this, in my book, in my novel, um, she lays down, she takes some alcohol, some pills, and lies down to die. She said, no one notices me anyway. And that day somebody does, and she's brought to the hospital and she's rescued. And her grandmother, who survived the Holocaust, comes out of her sickbed in New York City, steals her away from the psychiatric ward here in Los Angeles and takes her on a journey across America to help her fall in love with life. And during the course of the book, basically shares the story of how she made it through the Holocaust. I've had 17 young women and one male write me over the years after reading the book and telling me that they were in the same mindset as this character. And because they had read the book, they decided not to take their life. For a writer, for someone who creates something, that kind of response is overwhelming, as you can imagine. And... I was inspired by Wiesel to be a writer and in part by his emotion and his connection that very day 
to try to create something that might bring a new way of looking at life. Well, he turned to me and told me that and said, because of this one boy did I write this this play. Years later, when I had written my first book before this novel, I had written a book called Life Can Be This Good, sharing different short stories, some of which I've shared on this podcast, uh, telling about how life might be if we only turn it a certain way and reframe it. And I called him up at Boston University, and I reminded him of our meeting all those years earlier and his play and the young boy. And I asked him, would he blurb, would he write, consider writing something for my book? And very kindly, he said he would look at it, and he did. And he provided me with a blurb and, um, and wished me luck with it. Sometimes people leave their print on you. And twice in my life he did, and I am blessed. So I share this story with you. What is it you might do? Who is the person like Wiesel who maybe created an opportunity for you to change your mind about something? Or who was it like this young boy who played Misha who impacted the author himself, Wiesel? Is there someone who's impacted you, who's changed your life and changed the way you look at something because of the way they created it? This is a little longer podcast today because I wanted to share this very personal story and say we need to celebrate those people. We need to take more moments in our lives to celebrate those who've put their handprint on our hearts. And I know that in the coming week and weeks and months and years, you can be that person. You can find those people. Perhaps you already have, and you're thinking of them right now. If so, let their blessings move through you. When we take the opportunity to create, to illuminate, to ruminate about the many who have touched our lives, we can draw the blessings into us that are so necessary to see that some days and at some moments, the world was created just for us. And we have a responsibility to play and a celebration to make. Until next week, I'm Jan Goldstein, and this, this is all that matters. Thank you.